I am very, 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 very excited about this. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open on up to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. If this is your first time at NBC, this is the perfect first time at NBC. We are starting a new series, which is awesome, but it's also a series that's all about who we are, who we are as a church, what we believe, etc. Um, we're starting in 1 Corinthians, and this is a, a, a letter that was written to a church by a guy named Paul, a guy who was, we just got out of a series, we were uh, studying a letter from John, who was a self-identified best friend of Jesus. Paul is a self-identified atheist to Jesus. He, he did not believe in Jesus as Messiah at all until he did. And then when he did, it flipped the world. And this guy became the like, single-handed, most dangerous person to Satan on planet Earth as he spread, this former atheist skeptic, spread the reality of what he had discovered in Christ. And so he's writing this messed up church in Corinth, and in this letter, he gets to this part where he's talking about how, like, okay, look, we all got disagreements about if they're, like, sacrificing meat to this God that's a fake God, and then they take that meat and they sell it for cheap, you know, bargain, you know, bargain meat at Walmart, should we buy it or not? And at the time, people were like, I don't know, I feel, as a Christian, I feel like if I eat meat that was sacrificed to this idol, is that me being, like, like is that a messed up thing for me to do spiritually or what? And so Paul kind of speaks into this whole discussion this way. So if you've got your Bibles, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read through verse 4 through 6, if you could stand as we read God's word. This is Paul saying this, starting in verse 4. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there's no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether they're in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, for us there's but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, and for whom we live. And there's but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. As we get into this series, the reason that we're calling it Burden of uh, 79, as the video talked about, is that 39 years ago, something happened in this community. There was this farmer and this carpenter, and, and these guys didn't agree on anything except for the fact that they believed that there should be in this community a church that, that taught the Bible and proclaimed the gospel. Again, they came from different backdrops, different, different flavors of Christianity, but they agreed that living in this community, they wanted to see something happen, something take place. And so they, they, they said, all right, well, let's just see what God does. And if you've got a copy of the 12-week notebook, on the back is the first flyer that they mailed out to everyone. And this flyer was sent to everyone in Manuka, everyone in 60447, inviting them to come and discover what could happen if we got together. Everyone in 60447. And you know how many people showed up? 38. And they're like, boom, success. Because there was probably like 39 people in Manuka at the time and three horses. <laughs> 38's enough for a church. They're like, let's do this. And so all of a sudden, these two guys said, okay, well, if we're going to have a church, we have to know what we believe. Because our beliefs, we don't make our beliefs. Our beliefs make us. And so they started to cobble together this, this articles of faith, which was, was a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But they're like, okay, we need to answer some of the most important questions and, and realize that the scriptures are the things that source our answers. And so, and so that's exactly what they did. And so this series, The Burden of 79, is us stepping back into those 12 questions. 12 questions that they asked back in 79 that are just as relevant, just as pertinent today, and recognizing that that heart to plant this church, the thing that all of us today are experiencing the fruit of, man, what if in 2018 we recaptured that heart for the lost? 
and recaptured that heart for living out our faith in such a way that our friends and neighbors and coworkers and people we go to school with actually heard the amazingly offensive great news of Jesus. If you've got your notebook, um, you can go ahead and open them on up. And, and honestly, um, these are uh, things that we want everyone, if you are able to get these, score those at the, the booth. If you can't afford, we're, I think we're selling for $3. If so it's like, it's not even half of a Starbucks coffee drink. So if, if you want to buy these for three bucks, great. If you don't have the money, I'll buy them for you. Just tell Christy to put it on my tab. But I want, I'd love to have everyone get one of these um, because we're going to be tracking through there. Uh, we want people to think about the burden of 79. The thing that started this little church be something that we're thinking about. So they've got other merch back there too. They've got like car stickers. And so put that on. So whenever you see your car, you'll actually remember the burden of 79. You'll step into it in 2018. If you suffer from really serious road rage, don't put it on your car. <laughs> put it on your water bottle. But just something, definitely step into that. All right, so, so the first question that, that the articles ask, and, and this is, we have to give thanks also to Joel Senders who helped us revise this three years back. But the first question that we ask is, who is God? Because this is a question they had in 79, and it's a question that people are still asking today in 2018. And so we step into that and ask, the, and ask this is the answer that we give from Scripture. We believe that there is but one living and true God who is spirit in nature, existing eternally in three persons, Father, Son, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's the creator of the universe, all creation and supreme ruler thereof. And so we get a couple things out of this from scripture. Number one, we see that he's eternally active. Okay, there's people that founded our country that said, oh yeah, we believe in God. We're all about that. He created the world. We, you can't actually look at everything that we're discovering in science and everything else and say this is all an accident. So sure, there was a God that did it, but is he active today? No, not really. I mean, honestly, miracles and all that stuff, that's, that's mythology. God, God or a force or something created everything, but then walked away. We say, no. Actually, when, we look, when we're looking at Scripture, we're seeing Scripture affirming that he is active and powerful yet to this day. God calls this insecure, inadequate guy named Moses who had, a trouble, had insecurity in his communication skills. And at Mount Sinai, he says, you need to pass this on to these ex-slaves who've been slaves for hundreds of years. People who've been around a lot of people who've been worshiping their president and the grass around them and, other, and everything else and let them know that there is but one God. And so within Deuteronomy 6.4, Moses writes what God said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. He's not the president. He's not the plants. He is one. He's, ex he's someone who's separate. And, he's ex and again, he's not just was. He was and he is and he is to come. He's eternally Active. And not only that, he's actually someone that we recognize to be something else. Who is spirit in nature, existing eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whoa, hold on a second. The verse says one, not three, right? Where do we get the idea of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? What's another name for that? Trinity. From this we recognize, when we're looking through Scripture, we're recognizing that God is a relational being, that we see God Three persons, one essence in Scripture. That, that God is a relational being. And this is so powerful that if we grab our brains around this, even though it's difficult, it is so amazingly powerful in our everyday life. Because what we see the Scriptures affirming is this. A lot of Christians, they get this wrong or it's confusing. They think that there's like God the Father. He's like God. God. But then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up at Christmas. And all of a sudden, you have Jesus. 
And then you go a couple more books later and you get into the book of Acts and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit shows up. So it's almost like it's this relay race where they're passing batons. That is not what we see in Scripture. We see in Scripture the fact that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existed eternally all the way back in the current and all the way forward. All three. And the interesting thing is that we can actually see the fact that this trinity, this, this unity in the midst of diversity is in Scripture. Jesus calls this, this outcast named Matthew, um, Levi, he, he calls him to be one of his disciples, which was, I don't know if you've ever been picked on a team or you've been hired in a company and you're like, what's wrong with these people that they would actually hire me? But what's wrong with this, this team that they would actually accept me onto this team? Clearly they're lowering their standards. That had to be what Levi was feeling. Because Levi, Matthew, he, he, he had this perspective that he knew that he was an outcast. He had backstabbed his own people to the Romans. He was in bed with the Romans and he, had turned, and he was cheating through taxation his own people. So no one liked Matthew. And yet Jesus is like, that's my guy. Come on, you're joining the crew. And so Matthew is one of the, the people that record for us the life and ministry of Jesus. And when, when he records for us the baptism of Jesus, listen to what we hear show up in this passage. All three persons of the Trinity. As soon as Jesus, second person of the Trinity, was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, descending like a dove. This is important. Did it say he was descending as a dove? Or that he was a dove? No. If you run like a, Jake, Jake, if you run like a gazelle, you ain't a gazelle. You don't like morph. That'd be cool. But that's not what it's saying. As a dove, like a dove. He saw the spirit descending of God, descending like a dove, alighting on him. And a voice from heaven, well, who's this voice? We'll get the, the clue in the next sentence. A voice from heaven said, this is my son. God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Matthew records for us the fact that this God, who is one, actually is three in one. And we look back on that, that verse in Deuteronomy 6.4 about how the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word for one is achad, which is, it's like this, like it's unity, but it's like this thing, a thing that could be pluralized as well. It's, it's the picture of like the fact that you have two people who are not yet married and then they get married and the two become, right, that's achad, okay? And that is the description for God. God is one. And yet in scripture we see this one singular God is three in one, he's a relational being. How does that impact your everyday life in 2018? I'll tell you in just a little bit. But we also see something else. He's a final authority, the final authority. Why? He's the creator of the universe, all creation and supreme ruler thereof. The psalmist says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over what? Boom. Every, if you make it, it's yours, okay? Some of you are like really, really good cooks and some of you can cook pies. And if you can cook pies, we need to talk because I love pies. But here's the deal. If you make the pie, who gets to decide who gets the pie? This isn't a trick question. <laughs> who gets to decide? You do. If you made the pie. Now, what would be the, if you made the pie, right? And I showed up at your house unannounced. When, let's just say you're not there. It's cooling. I walk in and I take it because it's delicious. What does that make me? No, hungry. It makes me very, very hungry because I love pies, but it also makes me a thief. And why is it wrong? Because you made it. 
It's yours. You've got complete ownership over it. I don't get to decide that. You do. And what scripture says is, who is God? He is the final authority in our life. Why? Because he created you. He owns everything. He owns every patent. He is the one who has established chemistry and, and, and photosynthesis, who's crafted DNA. It's him. It's all him. And so because he's created everything, he has complete ownership on it all. I don't have the final say. If I think I do, I'm a thief. I'm a thief, and I'm robbing God. This is the answer. So when, 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 our, when our world is asking the question, who is God, we can communicate. God is, is the eternally active relational being who is the final authority in my life. Do I fail him? Absolutely. Absolutely. But he's the final authority in my life. In 1979, that was an important question to answer. In 2018, it's just as important. Now, some people think that we're like way further from God in 2018. We may or we may not be, but I think that honestly, we're just more honest. I think that people are more honest today, like, yeah, I'm just not into God, or I really don't know if there's such thing as a God. Where in 79, they might have said, oh yeah, I believe in God, because that was socially acceptable to say. In 1979, Dick and Vernon decided, they, they knew that that was a question that needed to be answered. And I would say in 2018, it's important for us to have an answer to that question too because today, it's far more easy for Christians to get sketchy with, with an answer. Like if someone's like, so seriously, you're a Christian. Like what kind of Christian are you? Because like some Christians think that there's only one way to God and everyone else is going to burn in hell and stuff. Is, are you a burn in hell Christian? Are you like my grandfather who wasn't a Christian? He's burning in hell. Is that what you're saying? Because, like, I mean, seriously, have you, I mean, you think that you're the only, do you really think, like, actually, like, not, not, not your grandparents, but you, you actually believe that there's only one God and everyone else is wrong? Have you ever met people from other faiths? They're amazing people, and they're good people. In fact, they're, they're actually better than you are, so what gives you, you the right? Who, who do you think you are to say that there's only one way? So Christians, sketched out by this, are like, that's a good point. You know what? Maybe, there, maybe I know what I'm following. I'm following Jesus. But it, if you're following someone else that's your God, I think as long as you're devout and, and, and you're intentional and you're a good person, that's, that's, that's good enough. And that sounds more loving. It really does. It sounds more diplomatic. It sounds like you're a cooler person. But that is actually one of the least loving things you can do. The most loving thing you can do in this question is to give a clear an honest answer. And let me show you why. If I were to gather my kids, I've got four boys, and I, I know exactly when they were born, and you've got Ma uh, Micah, Matthew. <laughs> Is are any of my kids in this service? Julie? Boom. This never happened. If I, okay. Micah, who just turned 18, Micah, Carson, Rylan and Cohen. And if I gathered my four kids together, I'm like, boys, come here. Come here. We need to talk. Um, this is just, just, just a teachable moment, all right, guys? All right. Um, you know, mom, I know that you look at her as your mother, but, and I've, I've told you that, but who am I to, to be so specific that, to say that that's your mom? Because honestly, your mom could be Anyway, and you weren't there. I mean, you weren't there at your birth. You don't, who, who am I to be so narrow-minded as to say that that's your mom, singular, and there's no other biological? That, how, so I just want to let you guys know that she may be your mom, or she may not be. 
I love you guys. Good talk. Good night. <laughs> How messed up would I be if I did that? How confusing would that be for my kids? Like, whoa, whoa, what? Now, that's confusing for them, but what if my wife, Julie, their mother, is standing just off earshot in the kitchen, and she hears me saying, who am I to say? And she hears that. What is she feeling? I mean, outside of rage, what is she feeling? <laughs> Absolute heartache. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who's their mom? Me. No one else is these kids' moms. I was, I was there. I was there. It would be confusing to them. It would be heartbreaking for her. Would she deserve to be enraged? You betcha she would. Think about God. Well, put God, hold on. Think about the people who's asking that question. How loving is it for you to say, who am I to say? I mean, there's lots of possibilities. That's not loving. That is confusing. And how heartbreaking and enraging is that for our God, who is the God, for him to want to share that answer with whatever. It doesn't work. The most loving thing you can do is to be honest and clear. So if you're someone who, within this, you're recognizing that this is something that that this is the, what uh, Vernon Johnson and, and, and Dick Seavers came up with. It's this idea where we need to plant this church so the people in this community are we're able to glorify God by communicating the, the gospel and the, and the word of God to people. And you're like, okay, we're here in 2018. How do I step into that? How do I step into the burden of, of 1979 in 2018? Well, first off, let's just identify the fact that we're not all on the same page. You might not be here because you're like, yeah, Jesus. You might be here because you're like, yeah, I'm a hostage. Uh, my parents have dragged me here. I've made no decision about this. If I had the decision, I'd still be sleeping for another four hours, okay? And so you might not be here all in. So let's just go start off with you. How do you take the first step into the burden of 79 with regard to the question of who is God? Here's what you do. Open yourself up. If you want to take that step, open yourself up to the possibility have an open mind to the possibility that, the, that God is exactly who the Bible says he is. Because that's what Paul did, the former skeptic. This is what he said. Let's go back to that passage we read before. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there's but one God. What's Paul saying? He's like, I'm not an idiot. Obviously, we live in a pluralistic society. People are worshiping lots of different gods. There's tons of religions, tons of cults, tons of ideologies that people are shaping their life around. However, for us, we say that no, actually, there is one God. We're not, we're not denying that people have faiths that are well-established and, and possibly even helpful to people. That's fine. But the reality is that they're not a way to God. There may be a great social system. There might be something that helps people think through decisions they've made, but they fall far short because they're not leading anyone, anyone to God. Yet for us, there is but one God. And so if you're still on the fence, like, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm all in, open yourself up to the possibility. And if you do, you'll join people like this guy. This is Anthony Flew. We've talked about Anthony before. Everyone say, hi, Anthony. 
Hello, people. All right, so Anthony is he's actually no longer with us, but while he was with us, he was the, one of the best, best, best debunkers of Christian faith. He was like the guy that if you had, like if you were someone who said, oh, my pastor, he can take you down. He knows all about the Bible and he's apologist. He can take you down. Anthony's like, bring him on. And he would blow him out of the water. You believe in the Bible? How precious. Anthony Flew would come in. Philip philosophy was his thing. He could philosophically undo any argument for God. He, he actually debated C.S. Lewis, this guy. And he was somebody who was just like the atheist's atheist. Atheists today are still using philosophical arguments to debunk faith, faith that Anthony Flew came up with. And he said, I will not become a Christian or any other faith based on the fact that there is the question, who is God? There is no God. There's no evidence. And philosophically, it breaks down. I follow the evidence. And then he found God because he followed the evidence. And all of a sudden, Anthony Flew says this, I now believe that there is a God, which had to really mess up the day of any one of his followers. I mean, that had to be a bad day. I now believe there is a God. And I now think it, 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 the evidence, does point to a creative intelligence almost entirely because of the DNA investigation. Science spotlights three dimensions of nature that point to God. And then as a, a guy who's not hating on atheists, he was an atheist. That was his crew. He says this, we have all the evidence we need in our immediate experience and that only a deliberate refusal to look is responsible for atheism of any variety. He's saying, I was an atheist for so long, not because of the evidence, but because I was refusing to look. That it was right in front of me all along, but my hard heart kept me from it. And then at one point, he was able to answer the question, who is God with exactly who the scriptures say he is? At the end of his life, he actually did come around not only believing that there was a God, but that the God of the Bible, because of the resurrection of Christ, made him the one that he put his faith in. But not just Anthony Flew. I mean, Vody Bauckham. I mean, this guy is a guy who, can't, who didn't believe in God because he, he didn't hear the gospel. He was a, a guy who um, had a single-parent home, and, and, it was, and he would say his life was rough. There was no, like, oh, God is so good, and he makes life so good. That's why I should believe in him. No, his life was very, very difficult. Mad, crazy, smart, all the way through. Goes off to college, still not a Christian. And in college, he hears the gospel for the first time. But because he's got all of this life history, you have to prove it to me. And so as a skeptic, he started to unpack and understand that the validity and the veracity of the Bible, the thing that we're talking about tomorrow night here at the church, was the thing that actually helped him say that the answer to the question, who is God, could be answered with exactly who the scripture says that he is. You got philosophy that all of a sudden got turned over to God, life experience that got turned over to God. Then you got this guy, Francis Collins. Francis, I love this guy. This guy's, um, he's a guy who was the head of the Human Genome Project, who, and his job was to map out DNA. Map out DNA. Let me just say what, map DNA. Like, I can't map out Shanahan. This guy's mapping out DNA. And, it, and all of a sudden, throughout this whole thing, like, uh, leading all up through his life, he was not a Christian. He knew enough about Christians to say, you go to church to learn how to do music, but don't listen to anything they're saying because it's crazy. It's crazy. And so he goes through his whole life, and he says this. Francis Collins said, I became an atheist because as a graduate student studying quantum physics, life seemed to be reducible to second-order differential equations. 
I have no idea what that means. Mathematics, chemistry, and physics had it all. And I didn't see any need to go beyond that. Until the deeper he got into science, the more he could no longer explain away the amazing intricacies and patterns that he saw that ultimately led him to be able to map out DNA that pointed to a creator. And not just a creator, not just a force, but the God of the Bible. Who is God? Exactly who the scriptures say he is. And Francis Collins today would call himself a strong Christian who affirms scripture. If you don't want to believe Anthony Flew, if you don't want to believe Vody Bauckham, if you, want to, if you don't want to believe a smart guy like Francis Collins, then just, just listen to my mom, okay? My mom is someone who grew up, and it wasn't philosophy, and it wasn't life experience, and it wasn't science that kept her from Christianity. It was her parents. Her parents were the biggest hypocrites as far as Christianity was concerned. They would show up a couple of times a year at church and drag my mom to church. And my mom saw how whatever was affirmed in here on Sunday didn't make it out to the parking lot. And when, right when we got home, everything, the way that we talked, the way that we cussed each other out, the way that we drank ourselves into oblivion continued and continued. This God you affirm is weak. He doesn't exist. So at junior high, she made it in a dedication in her heart that she is not a Christian. She is an atheist. And her job was to deconvert as many Christians as she could as a junior hire. It's like she's got an anti-Jesus youth group or something. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, she gets invited to this like uh, rally thing um, at her school. Like after school, like they're having this Christian rally. And her, her friend was a Christian, and she hadn't yet deconverted her. And so they... She, my, my mom's friend invited her, but then she had, at last second had to bail out. This is before, long time before cell phones, so her friend couldn't text my mom's like, I can't make it. So my mom shows up at the event solo. And my mom's like an introvert, so she walks in the room and she's just like wanting to hide. I'm an introvert. I'm an atheistic introvert. And there's a bunch of crazy Christians all around me. This is the weirdest, most uncomfortable scenario. And she hears the gospel. And from that moment on, my mom could answer the question of who is God? Exactly who the scriptures say he is. And she affirmed that reality from that moment on. The hypocrisy of her parents was not enough to overwhelm and overcome the truth of who God is. So if you're on the bubble, if you're on the fence, Open yourself up to the possibility that God is exactly who the Bible says he is. If you've already done that, then take the next step. Embrace the gravity and the greatness of God. That this, that this is not just like hypothetically or in the abstract God exists, but that he actually exists and that he has intersected time. Uh, we, we see that um, in that passage that Paul is writing, he says, yet for us there is but one what? God. That means that he's God, and he is great, and he's beyond all of my, my uh, everything that I've been putting in my life and shaping my life around and revolving my life around pales in comparison with him. As a follower of God, I'm not simply having like an application on my life, like, like this cellophane wrapper of God that I kind of put on or I take off. I actually recognize that God is above me, and his greatness is above me. When I was studying this, I just wrote down, he is greater than my failures, greater than my doubts, and greater than my hopes and dreams. He's beyond religion, beyond expectation, and beyond my control, but he's not beyond reach. He is not beyond reach. In fact, he's right here. He's close. 
in the book of Acts, Paul, this guy who, who was a skeptic, was an atheist to Jesus, and is now a follower of Jesus. He goes into a room or an area filled with all these people who worship lots of gods. And he starts to discuss intelligent with, with them about the one true God. And he says, you know what? You know that this God that I'm talking about, the one true God, he actually has ordered the whole universe. He is great. He, he is great beyond measure. And you know why he did that? So you would ask questions. So that you would start grasping for, for answers. And that you would realize in the grasping of these answers that ultimately you would realize that this God that seems so far off is close. In Acts 17, he talks about how close God is. You want to take a step into the burden of 79 and 2018. Realize that this God is not just God in the abstract. I believe in him. He's close. And he has intersected the timeline of history with what Jesus did. And he's intersecting your life right now. Which leads you to the next step. Which is to, to let the person of God shape you into a person like God. Let the person of God shape me into a person like God. God. God does not simply want you to believe. He wants to transform you. And, and, and belief, true faith, will transform you. Let the person of God shape me into a person like God. Let me tell you what I mean. When we get to, back to that passage, we have Paul saying, yet for us there's but one God the Father from whom all things come. And he doesn't put a period at the end of that sentence say, so believe it. He doesn't say, God exists, so have that in your heart, write it down, I believe in God, and walk away. It doesn't matter what you do after that. He says, from whom all things come, and what? For whom we what? Live. We are living for him. We're actually saying, I am opening myself up to be shaped by this God. I, I want, I, and, the way, and this is the amazing thing we have in Christianity, because we can look back to the person of God to make us into a person like God. Why are you against racism? Because it's socially acceptable. Like if in, back in the 50s and 60s, you'd be a racist. But it's 2018, so it's not, that's like taboo. And so you don't want to do that. That's why you're not a racist. Are you not a racist? Because, because people around you are not racist. And you, you, you don't want to like, you don't want to stand out. When we look at the person of God, we see within the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We have a picture of perfect, we have a picture of diversity. In the midst of diversity, we have unity. We have love. Love predated people. God did not create humanity because he had a deficiency of love. I just need to be loved and worshiped, so I gotta make, gotta create someone to get that. He had before time perfect love being expressed. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When he creates humanity, who we are created to worship him and love him, but when he creates humanity, he's not creating us because he needs it. He's creating us so that he can give it, so that he can craft us in the type of people who can receive God's love and be able to return that love. When you look at the people that are different from you, you cannot find in nature a picture of, of where tribalism doesn't make sense. In nature, you stick with your own kind, and you're only going to be symbiotic with one or two other kind of species that serve your purposes, and if they don't, you kick them to the curb. In nature, the strong survive, not the weak. We have a different picture for the way that we interact with other human beings. It's not built and based on our species. It's built and based on who God is. And when we can see God, all of a sudden, the bigotry and the racism, they get kicked to the curb. The, the lack of care for people who are outside of our tribe, kicked to the curb because we have a picture of unity in diversity. 
We, in God, we have the holiness of God. And because of the holiness of God, we recognize that, that I can no longer be a person that says, whatever I want to do is what I'm going to do. And I'm just going to basically follow my heart and shoot from the hip and continue to think that I'm not going to be making terrible, epic fails with the relationships in my world if I, don't, if I do that. No. As a person who's a follower of God, I'm saying, I want the person of God to shape me into a person like God. He calls me to be holy, and I stink at it. But he calls me when I'm coming back time and time again to those decisions to say, I don't want to shoot from the hip. I don't want to be my own person. I don't want to follow my heart. I want to, I want to be shaped into someone like you. Which means that ultimately we make this decision. We completely surrender all of me, all of us to all of him. We completely surrender all of us to all of him. Paul gets to the end of that part where he says this. He says, yet for us there's but one God, the Father, from whom all things come and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ. Like he could have stopped. He could have put a period at the end of the sentence. Look, I've already talked about the fact that there's only one God, but he doesn't. He comes back to it. And he says that there's but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things come and through whom we live. And that word for Lord right there in yellow, that's the word kurios. And, and, and it's this Greek word, which means this, because we think of Lord and we think religion. Don't think religion. Kick that out. When you hear Lord, just substitute with the person who calls the shots. In my world, in my life, I am surrendering all of me to, not my desires, I'm surrendering all of me not to my addictions, I'm surrendering all of me not to the relationship that I want to impress, I'm surrendering all of me not to my job, not to my family, not to my hopes and dreams, I'm surrendering all of me to the person who calls the shots. And why does he get to call the shots? Because he made me, and I'm his. God does not desire to be our genie. He wants our desires to flow from him as God. God does not desire to be our genie, that we go to and pray when we need something, when we're about to fail a test, when we're about to, to, to realize that our relationship is falling apart. God wants not to be our genie. He wants our desires to flow from him as God. What if this week you actually made that step? Wherever you're at, I want to challenge you to take this week a step into that. You know your life better than I do. But what if the answer to the question that was asked in 79, that we're still answering today in 2018, proved itself to be such that you could say, who is God? Who is God? He is my master. He is my Lord. He's the one who calls the shots. Junior hires, high school students, you know how weeks that are built and based on you calling the shots look. People in your 20s and 30s, you're single, you're married. Life is building up or breaking down. People in your 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. At every point in our life, we're called to come back to the very same reality, the fact that we are created by a creator who in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our sin, continues to call us home, and that's only possible through Jesus. But Jesus told people, this thing that I'm teaching you, it's, it's new wine. It's, it's this thing that's, that's a refreshing new reality in you. It's a start that you need to step back into. And no matter what you've done up to this point, it's not too far. At this point on, surrender your life to the Lord, to the one who calls the shots, your creator, the eternally 
existing and active relational being who is our final authority. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, each one of us in here wrestle with that. We struggle with it. We all have an experience of coming to a point of possibly affirming that you are there. We know that, you, that God exists, but sometimes taking that next step is where we fall short. Sometimes answering that question of who is God is fumbled. Lord, I pray that as we're taking steps into, into this false uh, series, but that this will be a, a, a milestone in our heart and our spiritual walk. We'll be able to affirm who you are, the God of the Bible, the God who's intersected our life, the God who's the definition of love, the God who has brought us back from darkness, and the God who's not done with us yet, that we'll actually surrender our lives to him, to you. And we will give you thanks and you glory as the world around us who still doesn't have an answer to that question hears and sees it from our lives. We give you thanks for that. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.